Right, hello. Hi, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 a.m. as we are every weeknight into the morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 312-981-7200 is our number. If you would like to join us, we would love to hear from you. Uh, We're going to talk TV with Dan Feinberg. He's the TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, uh, and you can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. If you have any questions about television or comments about television, 312-981-7200. We're going to discuss identical twins, uh, completely pointless inventions, and ridiculous job titles, and much, much more. 312-981-7200 is our phone number. Uh, Dan Feinberg is the TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, and he joins us every other week to talk TV. And uh, here is Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm okay. It's getting a little bit hot, but it's mid-August, so I guess that's what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, we're we're we've got a we got a heat uh, a, a heat streak coming up here too. Uh, start, starting over the weekend, it's going to get into the 90s here. So let me let me tell you, containment is not so bad when it's uh, you know when it's all tempered and nice, but when it gets to the the 90s. Yeah, and it's a little bit unpleasant. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, we'll get through it. I mean, it's August in Chicago. August in Chicago. That's what. <laughs> that's what it is. Exactly. So, uh, all right. It's been a while since we've spoken. I'm glad that uh, we we got you on here. It has. Uh, the the Blackhawks got in the way of one of our appearances. Yeah. And, you know, just time stretches out. But on the bright side, it means there's ever so much TV to there talk about. There is a lot to talk about uh, in terms of television. Um, and uh, has there, is there anything that, uh, that over the past few weeks that we haven't spoken, is there anything that stands out that you've, uh, that you've watched or anything that you wanted to talk about uh, here other than some of the reviews that you've done? I think last week, actually, uh, well, we missed the Emmy nominations entirely. So, oh, right. but I think we might na- I think we might now be like too far past them for them even to be timely anymore. So right. let's just pretend they, you know, we'll deal we'll deal with it when the awards come along. But uh no, I think last week was particularly good cuz last week there was the premiere of Lovecraft Country, the premiere of Ted Lasso and the premiere and I didn't review this one but I watched and enjoyed it of uh Netflix's Teenage Bounty Hunters. So that was sort of an above average stretch of tv last week okay. uh, whereas this week into this weekend below average oh oh well what's below average for this weekend oh there's netflix's hoops which is not very good there's love in the time of corona on freeform which is kind of the first full-on scripted show produced entirely during the quarantine mm-hmm. and it's really not pleasant and so yeah this this is a good weekend to catch up on what you didn't watch last weekend and the week before i would okay. say well all right well there you go that's uh, some of the things tell me about the the netflix show that you were just talking about that you watched but you didn't review uh teenage bounty hunters yeah tell it me about a, that it is a dark comedy about two 16 year old girls fraternal twins who find themselves semi-accidentally becoming bounty hunters under the watchful eye of a grizzled old bounty hunter played by kadeem hardison um and it's executive produced by genji cohen from orange is the new black and netflix really didn't know what to do with this show. They embargoed reviews until premiere day, which was last Friday, and promoted it only a little. It's a really kind of clever, kind of sweet, kind of funny show about 
two teenage bounty hunters with a couple really good performances from the two unknown actresses who are its leads. Yeah. And, you know, probably the fact that I'm speaking this highly of it is already kind of elevating expectations in a way that it doesn't need. But if you go in with low expectations, it's a lot of fun. And I think a lot more people would enjoy it than we're actually talking about it last weekend. So maybe this weekend is the right time to check out Teenage Bounty Hunters. Teenage Bounty Hunters. You know, we've talked about this, uh, you know, a, a bunch of times. The amount of content on Netflix. How does a show like this, I mean, this something like this, a show like this could get lost in the shuffle. Isn't that, isn't that true? It is definitely true, and it's it's kind of inevitable, and a lot of good stuff gets stuck, you know caught in the shuffle. And also, Netflix maybe has decided to some degree that shows that are being tailored towards a teenage audience really don't require a critical attention at all. And I think that's plausible. I, I can't say they're necessarily wrong, but also don't require any sort of awareness from an older generation that they exist in any way, shape, or form. And yeah. so this was one where I think they just assumed, you know, the, the girls might find it, and that's fine. And whereas what I would say is that if you were to pitch it to people my age, your age, producer Tom's age, etc., and say it's kind of Veronica Mars-esque, which is how I'd describe it. It's not as good as Veronica Mars, but it's sort of in that vein. And so if you pitch it, to people is that, you can get a lot of people to watch it. And so I don't know that Netflix did it any favors, yeah. but maybe people will find it in the weeks to come. You know, as you, if you mention Veronica Mars, I'm all over it, Dan. <laughs> and, and, again, and, and, see, and once again, I kind of raised the expectation a little bit too high, and it runs into trouble. But it's it's just a little bit smart, a little bit clever. It, everything's sort of quick, quippy and referential. They touch on a couple social issues in effective ways. There are a couple relationships that I really liked. Uh, Method Man has a very funny oh, supporting role. Awesome. Uh, and I always enjoy watching Method Man Me acting. Me too. Me um, too. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there, there are lots of good things. If you just go in and go, okay, it's 45 to 50 minutes per episode. It's not. It doesn't take itself very seriously at all. It's it's fun. And I think a lot of people would find it an escapist pleasure because I don't think it's meant to be anything more than that. So I'm, I'm telling people if it sounds like the kind of thing you might find vaguely amusing, you really should check it out. It's It's not. You know, it's not peak Veronica Mars, but I don't think it's worse than Veronica Mars season three. Okay. So, you know. <laughs> okay. So there All you right. go. All right, Dan, hold on a second, okay? Sure. Uh, Dan Feinberg is with us, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And if you want to join us with any uh, TV questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. Right. Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. 312-981-7200 is the phone number, and uh, we're here until 4 o'clock. It is a Thursday morning. Happy Thursday. 312-981-7200, if you want to join us, we're talking TV. Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter, TV critic, uh, joins us every other week. You can follow him uh, at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And uh, we love to have Dan uh, talk about TV, lots of TV to talk about. And if you have any questions, TV-related or comments, it's 312-981-7200. Hello, Dan. 
Hello, Nick. Uh, I wasn't aware of this, but I was looking at uh, uh, the fine print, and I saw that they actually shelved an episode of Blackish, and now it's available on Hulu. Tell us the story about that. Indeed. Uh, several years ago, I believe it was in the show's fourth season, there was an episode that was co-written by Blackish creator Kenya Barris that was supposed to air in the second half of that season, and... ABC simply pulled it, and for a long time there were disputations on both sides regarding the cause of the shelving. Uh, rumors initially swirled that it was a subject matter thing, that the episode was too anti-Trump, uh, not that the show ever had problems with that at any point otherwise, uh, or that the problem was that there was a plot in it about Colin Kaepernick and the national anthem kneeling, and that that was too hot to handle. Uh, ABC's executive at the time, uh, entertainment president Channing Dungey, said that ultimately it was a creative decision and that it was simply not up to the show's standards, so they pulled it. Well, Channing Dungey has gone off, and she's at Netflix now, and... uh, Basically, ABC had been re-airing and getting extra airings out of a couple of the more controversial episodes of Blackish. And at some point, Kenny Barris said to Hulu and ABC, look, can we just put this episode up? And they said yes. And so the episode is now available. Um, and it's okay. And that's, that's about all I can say about it. Is, is I think I probably agree it is not among the best episodes of Blackish. It, it, the plot is that the main character, Dre, played by Anthony Anderson, is uh, trying to basically tell his infant son a bedtime story to, uh, to put him to sleep, but he's realizing how he's also wrapped up in anxiety because of what's happening in the world. And so he goes over various things happening in the world from protests, kneeling in the national anthem, etc., and tries to talk his infant son who doesn't understand through these things. And it's it's sweet, but not really all that substantive, but it's not really in any way controversial at all. I think they could have aired it, no one would have said a word. Yeah. Um, and definitely ABC has aired dozens of worse episodes of sitcoms over the years. So the idea that it didn't rise to some level of quality is beyond asinine. Yeah. So it becomes a question of why did ABC do this? And there's no answer. You could, the, the speculation runs everything from it was in the middle of the negotiations to acquire all of the Fox assets and they didn't want to do anything to mess with that deal uh, to the fact that ABC is Disney, Disney is ABC, is ESPN, ESPN is the NFL, so they're all sort of in this uh, somewhat yeah. conflicted whatever, and yeah. so maybe this was something. But even then, it, it's not even the, the kneeling national anthem stuff is... It's like the fifth biggest plot line in the episode, and it's dispatched within less than three minutes of screen time. It's barely there. Yeah. It's, it's nothing. So it, it's a mystery, and that's and that ultimately ends up being all this is, is. Here's an episode that ABC didn't want you to see, and a bunch of people are going to watch it and go, I don't understand why ABC didn't want us to see it. And, yeah. you know, for better or for worse, and almost definitely for worse, everything in the episode is still timely. So yeah. you could just sit down and watch it now, and it. it plays exactly the same way, which shows that we've both made no progress and things have gotten worse. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's where it is. It's uh, an odd thing. <laughs> All right. Well, the episode is called Please, Baby, Please, and um, it's uh, it's been shelved for a couple of years, but it is now available on Hulu, and uh, if you want to go back and watch this uh, episode of Blackish, it is now um, available. 
All right. Indeed. All right. Here's Barbara on WGN. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Vic. Um, I'm not much for advertising a show, but I just want to mention to you that Friday, the show on Netflix called Lucifer is coming back on. Uh, It originated on Fox, and it went through three seasons and then abruptly canceled the show. And there was such an uproar, people were wondering what happened. Well, they were going by the Nielsen rating, going through the United States, but they didn't realize that there was an audience all over the world that loved this show. And they started a Save Lucifer um, petition on uh, Twitter, and I understand we crashed Twitter two times. We call ourselves the Lucifans. And um, anyway, uh, Netflix bought it. And so we we had a a fourth season that they said was going to be the last, but then seeing how many people loved it, Netflix gave it a fifth season, and um, it it's like 16 episodes, and they split it in half, and we've seen half of it. Uh, and this Friday, it's coming back on the air after being off for nearly a year. And I don't know if there's any Lucifer fans in the Chicago area, but believe me, everybody loves that Tom Ellis. He plays the part of an angel that was thrown out of heaven, right. which you assume about that because they don't show that. And uh, it's about uh, the devil that goes to Los Angeles for a vacation, and then he decides that he loves Los Angeles and he doesn't want to go back. And then the story takes off, and he is the cutest man you ever saw. Okay. And Everybody loves him. All right, Barbara, it's on Netflix uh, starting on Friday. All right, you know what, what about Lucifer, Dan? Oh, I could not possibly say it better than Barbara just said it. No, that's, I mean, that is the story of the show, is that it was a show that Fox was unable to properly gauge what its level of success was, and they canceled it even though there was a vocal fan base out there. And Clearly. And picked it up. I didn't, know, I didn't know they were called Lusa fans, though. <laughs> I'm not sure I necessarily knew that either, but I, I definitely knew that the fans were out there and that they're enthusiastic and, and definitely knew that they loved Tom Ellis. That That is without yeah. any question at all. And and so, yeah, it is, it is a it is one of those success stories of, of fans saving a show, and not just fans saving a show because it happens with some frequency at this point. Yeah, TV's weird these days, but of being able to sustain the attention because there's always the story of something like Jericho, which got renewed, but after fans, you know, basically sent nuts to CBS, and then the second season, no one watched it, and so it was like, okay, great, and so CBS went, okay, well, we gave you your second season, you didn't watch, it's canceled. Uh, Lucifer apparently really has continued to have the audience. I mean, another example would be Designated Survivor, which Netflix picked up for an extra season, and they thought there was going to be enough audience to maybe sustain it going forward, and then it just got canceled after one season, whereas Lucifer has done apparently fairly well on Netflix. Not that anyone would know. Yeah, well, it's true. Well, Barbara and her other Lucifer fans are waiting for, for, for Friday. Get that, uh, and, I, and I, I, I made the mistake of saying there was nothing necessarily good coming out this weekend. So, so there you go. There uh, it is. Lucifer, return, Lucifer returning to Netflix on Friday. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm very disappointed by this news. Um, Drunk History has been canceled at Comedy Central. I love Drunk History. I think it's just absolutely <sighs> hilarious, and I'm sad that it uh, 
that it got canceled. Uh, Comedy Central is in a, a strange phase where they're shifting away from scripted originals, and you know it's the way lots of things are going in, in basic cable. And so they've canceled a number of shows in in recent weeks, and this was just another casualty. Um, yeah, it's definitely fans are very unhappy, and it's it's also a show that is reliably nominated for uh, for several key. Emmys and its eligibility category. So, yeah, it's it's a little strange, but I don't really understand Comedy Central's current strategy at this point. So, other than watching uh, Trevor Noah every night and watching South Park periodically, that's you know that's that's all I do with Comedy Central these days. So, yeah. so yeah, they're 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 going through some reconsiderations of strategy, and Drunk History was a casualty of that. I I would I would that it finds a way to return in some form somewhere, yeah. assuming the people involved want it to. I would hope so. Because, because it, really, it, it has an audience. Oh, so. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm one of that. I'm one of that audience. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think that show is, I think that show is hilarious. And, and um, uh, I've always just cracked up watching it. And, just, uh, I'm really, and also, the thing, about the, the thing about Drunk History, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not kidding here. Um, I've learned a lot watching drunk history i'm not i'm not kidding while i watch it i mean it's hilarious and i think Derek waters is awesome i just i love him and, and my favorite moments uh, uh dan in um in drunk history are when they cut to Derek waters laughing at whoever is drunk and telling the story those, those are my favorite my favorite moments I, i'm i'm betting someone will pick it up in some form because it, it you know it, it has those assets that you just said they get an unreal assortment of of cameos guest stars however you want to call yeah, it yeah yeah yeah, it's it's a show with a deep well of support, not just among fans, but in the comedy community. So I so I would bet someone will say we're going to pick it up for three specials or something. I just don't necessarily know who it would be, but the obvious yeah. answer is, as always, Netflix. But exactly, exactly. Now, now, Tom, you said that your your girlfriend agreed to date you because of Drunk History. Yeah, my fiance decided to <laughs> your fr- your fiance. Yeah, that's right. Fiance. I'm sorry, you're yeah. you're engaged now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I used to watch it back when it was still a web series on Funny or Die. Yeah. And um, I guess one night, it was a uh, uh, Friday night in college, so I was drinking. No. <laughs> you were, it's a Friday night in college, yeah. and you were drinking? How, yeah. What? Yeah, and uh, I did, from memory, the entire web series one where it's, uh, I think it's Duncan Trussell uh, telling the story of Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. So it was like I, I was like laying on the ground, just rambling about Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison and pigeons and electrocuting animals. And she, for some reason, was just like, "Well, this guy's a hoot." So there you go. Thank you, Derek Waters. Thank you, uh, Drunk History. All right. Okay, all right. Wow. Another reason. Another reason to save the show. And reader, she married him. Wow, that is. Uh... <laughs> she married the guy laying on the floor, uh, rambling on drunk about Tesla. So that's uh, hey, when you when you know you know. There's yeah, no, there's that's no it. question. There's hope for all of us. Okay, Dan, hang on. Sure. All right, Dan. Dan Feinberg is with us, TV critic for the Hollywood Reporter. Follow him at the Fine Print F I E N. Lots more TV to talk about. And if you have a TV question or a comment, Dan Feinberg's here. 312-981-7200. We'd love to hear from you.
Hello, it's Nick DiGiulio on WGN. We are uh, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here till 4 o'clock, as we are every uh, weeknight from 11 p.m. into the morning at 4 a.m. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we go over to Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN, get some early morning news from that group, and then uh, the great Bob Surratt has your morning drive starting at 5. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. Dan Feinberg is with us. He joins us every other week to talk TV. TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, and you can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. A couple more people calling in here. Let's, uh, Sean. Sean, go ahead. Hey, Nick. Love your show. Thank you, buddy. Hey, hey, hey Dan. Uh, I was curious about the boys on Prime Video. When's the next season coming out? I love that show. I'm dying to see it. The next season is coming out at the beginning of September, and it has already been renewed for a third season. So, uh, oh, so get ready to have much more of it. There you go. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, sir. All right, Sean, take care. What's The Boys? Remind us. Uh, the, Bo- the Boys is Amazon's anti-superhero team-up show uh, about a dysfunctional group of superheroes in a world in which the world knows that superheroes exist and they worship superheroes but oh. some of them turn out not to be good people it's sort of amazon's equivalent of what netflix has with umbrella academy gotcha. of what dc universe has with doom patrol it's you know it's a thing um i think a lot of people prefer the boys uh, because it is raunchier and more violent and people blow up but good sometimes okay so, all right yeah <laughs> All right, well, that's, I think maybe that's why Sean likes it so much. So what do we say? Uh, here's Chris on WGN. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's up? Uh, I just want to talk about, like, old soap opera. And after that, I want to do two shots from the Chicago area that I know of. Uh, you remember Christian Alfonso, that play on Hope Brady on Days? Which one? Uh, Christian Alfonso. She played Hope Brady, you know, Bo and Hope. Yeah, well, I Super don't remember, Hope. but go ahead. Yeah, I heard that uh, she's supposed to be leaving days, and their rumor had it that she's supposed to be moving to Young and the Restless very soon. Uh huh. All uh, right. If that happens, that's that's gonna be a shocker because you know, because uh, you know they just recently got back in production after this COVID thing. The they yeah. don't want doing new sh- shows, and all those was on hiatus. Right. All right. Well, there you go. There's a little soap opera news for you there, Dan. <laughs> Excellent. All right, thank you, Chris. Uh, okay, um, let's talk about Lovecraft uh, Country. Let us. Did you watch the first episode? I did. did. I, I did indeed. Yes. That sounds like a. I liked it. Oh tone. yes, <laughs> I liked it very much. So did you, Tom? Right? Yes, I very much. I very much did. I yeah. thought it was quite good. Yeah. What, what? How many have you seen? I have seen five episodes, oh, okay. uh, and and I've also read the source material by uh, Matt Rupp that it was based on. So uh, right, I've not both, read I've not no read words. it I've not read it, but I did I did see the I did see the first episode. So um, it is it is a show that I like, and a show I think is a, a both a lot of fun and also uh, very provocative and very timely in certain ways and. It's a pleasure to be able to point to a show where if you've seen one episode, I assure you, if you haven't read the book, you don't know where the story is going. That is that is the thing I will say, because it is it is a fun mashup of 
pulp genre elements and it rarely stays in the same place for too long and it wholly engages with the different genres that it plays around with and uh and i think uh, journey smollett who is one of these stars and jonathan majors who's the other i think they are spectacular i think she in particular is is phenomenal i think she has been on the the brink of stardom for a long time and this should to me make her as big a star as there is the the camera just loves her in a way that it loves the people who are the big stars so tell everybody what it's about well it's hard to describe what it's about it is (laughs) initially is there's a young man who is a Korean War veteran who is returning to his Chicago hometown in 1955, and he's returning because his father has gone missing. And through a series of clues, he's able to find out that his father has gone, has in some way or another either been taken or gone to a small New England community that is not to be found on any maps, but that it has distinct similarities in name and feeling and possibly creatures to uh, to various Lovecraftian horror elements. And so he goes off to get his father, but that's really only the start of the story. And then it goes other very, very wacky places that I will not spoil. Some of them are spooky some of them are thoughtful and interesting. Some are just fun, and some are straight up gross. Uh, the the fifth episode is particularly spectacularly wonderfully gross, uh, <laughs> and then I loved that episode in particular. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, I want to mention that the uh, that the missing father is played by Omar. It's uh, Michael, Michael Michael Kenneth Williams, who I love. Michael Kenneth Williams. You've got uh, Courtney B. Vance as the main characters uncle uh and it was and the series was adapted for television by misha green who was one of the co-creators of wgn america's underground which is a uh pre-civil war slavery action drama whatever it is it's a it's also a genre mashup she she likes mixing around with the genres and uh if people haven't seen underground it's all available on hulu right now and it is a terrific series that deserved more than just the two seasons it got okay and also obviously jordan peele's name is on it that always adds uh that always adds interest right there he's an executive producer on this he is indeed. He did not write or direct any of it, but you can definitely you can see the things that interest him about using uh, genres that have traditionally not been spaces for black narratives uh, to tell more expansive stories than the way that the genres have normally been treated, and yeah. it definitely fits into the things that interest him. Yeah, yeah. It's I I, I thought the first episode was really terrific. I, I I really I watched it yesterday, and I thought it was really and uh, Tom. Yeah, you you you, uh, you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, very very much enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> I you know, I thought it was going. It it starts out really weird, and then yeah. kind of goes back to reality for a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then gets weird again. And I I guess uh, I've just always been a fan of um, of H.P. Lovecraft stuff. You know, horribly racist warts and all. Uh, because you know we're we're like what a hundred years from when his kind of biggest uh time of productivity was you know uh hp lovecraft most of everything was written between kind of like 
you know, the, the end of uh, World War One to like, I don't know, I think he kind of drops off by the 30s or so. So we're getting to that point where we're looking at 100 years of basically the guy who helped uh, develop American horror writing. And so uh, I find it interesting that this is coming out now and that it's kind of trying to contend with that that legacy because he was not a nice guy. He was a weird recluse who like yeah he lived in his at his mom's attic and uh, had a kind of really depressing life and uh, and now uh, we're kind of looking back it's, at his work. It's interesting because you know nobody's ever really done a, a, a good job adapting Lovecraft for film, and no. the the oddest thing is the most Lovecraftian thing that I can think of. Is in the mouth of madness, which right. was, you know, which is not based on which is really, which at all. Is really more of a riff on Stephen King in a lot of ways. Well, it is, sure, you know. Sutter Kane and Stephen yeah. King, yeah, but 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 it really has that Lovecraftian feel to it. Uh, um, I want to. I, I want to ask Dan: Do you ever get annoyed of reading the adjective Lovecraftian? <laughs> I, I it is it is a usable adjective, except for the fact that at this point, the only people who understand it are. You know, it's it's a dwindling and condensing group. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think the vast majority of people out there, while if you make a comparison to Stephen King in terms of American horror, they're like, ah, okay, I know what that is. Yeah. Uh, but Lovecraftian is tougher. I would I would say that Stuart Gordon did several. Oh very, yeah, very yeah, good yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, Stuart Gordon. Good old Stuart Gordon. Late great Stuart Gordon. Yeah. Indeed. So, yeah. but yeah, he no, he's tough. And you know, like you look at uh, you look at the years that Guillermo del Toro has been trying to make Mountains Madness, not Mountains, where, what is the full title of that one? It is At the Mountains at the, of Madness. At the Mountains of Madness. Yes, At the Mountains of Madness. Uh, he's been trying to make that for 25 years, and at various points has had as much power as any director in Hollywood and has not been able to get How that. How is that possible? Made. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, he's Guillermo del Toro. He should be able to do whatever he wants. I'm, people, I'm sure, have have constantly told. Like, I'm sure he's written scripts for it. I'm sure there are scripts. I'm sure there are outlines. I'm sure there are production sketches. And I'm sure every single time he says, "I want to do this," a studio says, "Sure, let's do it." What is the minimum amount of money that you need yeah. to make it? Yeah, and he gives a number that's significantly higher. I would assume. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you would think, like, after. Uh what the hell was the name of the creature from the Black Lagoon movie? Oh, uh, Shape the, of Water. Yeah, Shape of Water. Yeah. Shape of Water. He, got a, he made an Oscar-winning movie where a woman has sex with a fish. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's something to be said yeah, about so, that, yeah. So so when you have this this most powerful man in, in Hollywood at various different points, and he can't get that as his dream project made, you, yeah. you know That's big. it's a tough That's sell. tough. It's a tough sell. No question about it. I still say uh, my favorite Del Toro is Crimson Peak. I love that movie. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth is without is, hesitation. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth is terrific. I also like um, Devil's Backbone too, which I think is, is also fantastic. Yeah. Okay, Dan, hang on. Sure. Uh, Dan Feinberg is with us. Uh, we're talking TV, and if you want to jump in with your TV comment or question, it's 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. We'll continue with Dan. More TV talk coming up here on 720 WGN. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. 
We are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. It's a Thursday morning. We're going to be talking about identical twins, wild facts about them. And if you're a twin, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, completely pointless advent- uh, adv- inventions. We're going to talk about uh, how a Texas realtor is using Bigfoot to sell houses and some of the weirdest questions that realtors have ever been asked and ridicul- ridiculous job titles, among other things. Our phone lines are open at 312-981-7200. That's the Team Hochberg phone line, 312-981-7200. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Dan Feinberg, a TV critic from The Hollywood Reporter, joins us every couple of weeks. You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. Lots of TV to talk about. Let's get back, uh, let's get back to it. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. Okay, let's talk about Star Trek Lower Decks. How many Star Trek shows have there been now? Um... CBS All Access has apparently just decided they're going to be the Star Trek network, and then occasionally <laughs> other things will pop up, and then people will talk about how good the good fight is, and no one will notice, and that will be sad. <laughs> um, but it's a strategy, I guess, whatever gets some group of people in. Uh, Lower Decks is it's a premise that a lot of people have been trying to do for many years in the Star Trek universe, which is basically to look at all of the people in, well, as the title would say, the lower decks, the the less significant people, not the officers, not the people on the bridge, not the characters who have been the basis of the shows in the past. So uh, is it like upstairs, downstairs? It is a little bit upstairs, downstairs. I, I would love for it to be more upstairs, downstairs, because then it would be significantly more substantive uh and it would have an actual premise as opposed to what it is which is largely a lot of star trek references which is fine it's just not particularly crafted humor it's uh created by mike mcmahon who is who created solar opposites which is pretty solid and uh, premiered on hulu a few months ago and he's a longtime writer and producer on rick and morty so he definitely has loopy animated sci-fi credentials uh for whatever reason though none of the actual big ideas that he's exhibited on other shows pop up here at all and it really is just a lot of okay we're gonna now go into a couple arcane details about favorite i don't know this is bad example klingon foods or something and we're gonna say their names and audiences who dig this will go ha i have never heard that mentioned before on a star trek show Uh and that will make people happy Mm. it's just not more than that Uh, none of the characters are all that interesting none of the voices are all that exciting the adventures on the show are sometimes a little cute and amusing and because it's animated you can have these characters who are basically you know glorified servants on on these ships kind of in the foreground having their banal adventures while huge big things happen in the background and that's sometimes amusing there's a rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead thing that should be happening here but really isn't um yeah i I was i was disappointed it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination it's just it it's not the kind of thing that offers much beyond okay here fans we're now going to say some words that you've wanted to hear said on a tv show before Mm -hmm. so i would have liked for it to be better is and is there anybody of note providing the voices 
Um, people of varying degrees. Uh, uh, Dennis Quaid's son, Jack Quaid, is the main voice, and he, some people will know, including our previous caller, as one of the stars of The Boys on Amazon Prime. So mm. it all ties back around and together. Uh, Tawny Newsom, who was very good on one season of Brockmire, is in it. Uh, Jerry O'Connell is one of the voices. There are a lot of very familiar people who do sort of secondary cameos and additional episodes so yeah it's a, it's a, it's an okay it's a good cast it's, well i'm just looking at the no cast way. here I, I love noelle wells I, I i i loved her since snl and she and she's good uh you know the, the voices are all likable and fine just nothing's exciting and i think that kind of goes for the entire series as well okay and it's premiered on uh, thursday august 6th uh are they it's on cbs all access are they um just doing it once a week are they doing they're, one, one they're doing it a week? once a week okay yeah which which is also what they've done with the various star trek shows in fact i think They've had a couple shows that they've done dropped all at once, but generally CBS All Access is actually stuck to a one episode per week rhythm. So all right. at least they're consistent. <laughs> all right. Star Trek Lower Decks Thursdays on CBS All Access animated uh, Star Trek. Uh, they did another they had another Star Trek animated show, didn't they? Uh, well, there was a, there was the Star Trek animated show that was back in the 70s, which this is paying homage to periodically uh currently that's what there has been but then for, for a long time the it's always sunny guys wanted to do a show that was basically this premise uh and it just never came together for for some reason uh and you know it's just always been a thing that's amused people as an idea and you can understand why uh you know, because these are sort of the lower people, and they idolize Captain Kirk, so they like to make Captain Kirk references, and so there's a lot of that. It's just uh-huh. not very well crafted, I don't okay. think. Right. Yes. What about the world's toughest race, Eco Challenge Fiji, on Netflix? Indeed, uh, this premiered last week, and some people, not everyone, but some people remember Eco Challenge because in the late '90s. Before there was Survivor, before there was The Amazing Race, Eco Challenge was the thing that to some degree was the progenitor of all of this. Yeah, it was yeah. executive produced by Mark Burnett. He he created this endurance race that was in multiple locations, I think Utah at some point, and it's in Fiji now in large part because that's where Survivor has had its home base for years. And it bounced around different networks because it premiered at a time when no one knew exactly what it was. And it also kept changing formats. The first season, it was like the entire race was a 45-minute special. And then it aired in different forms on Discovery and ESPN. So basically the premise is there are 66 teams of four ultra-endurance athletes, and they've got 11 days to make it from one point in Fiji to another point, and it's hundreds of kilometers, and there are an assortment of stop points they have to get to, and then they have to go through these different skill sets. So there are long stretches where they're whitewater rafting, and then other stretches where they have to uh, where they have to scale a one thousand foot um, waterfall, and then they have to swim or walk through. Uh, chilly, like, you know, 55-degree water in a river for eight kilometers, which is a lot, and apparently will give you hypothermia. Yeah. And so people are breaking their ankles. People are constantly getting cut. People are getting hypothermia. There's 
basically no sleep because if you sleep, you're going to fall behind. Uh, and it's it's really a kind of fascinating, and it's also fascinating to see how Mark Burnett has kind of, in the 20 years that it's been off the air, or 18 years, added reality-type elements that it doesn't really need. So suddenly Bear Grylls is a basically a host-presenter, so he's constantly around telling you what's happening. Uh, there are medallions that teams need to collect, not for any reason in particular, just because that's what audiences who watch reality expect. It, yeah. it doesn't always work, but the competitions are... The actual tasks are nutty. Uh, these are peop- these are athletes on a terrifying level, and a lot of the character drama is really effective. So there there are just good storylines. Like there's a son who's with his father, and the father was a, an endurance athlete from way back in the day, and now he has Alzheimer's, and he's failing basically as he goes. But the son wants to give him this last endurance race, and it's it's beautiful. It's almost impossible to watch and not get you know choked up and yeah. so it's it's really good solid tv and if people had vestigial memories of the original incarnation of this uh and especially in a time when there may not be another survivor season for a while yeah. who knows yeah. um it, it's it's a welcome return of programming I so it's not, all on amazon now i do not remember this is all on amazon is, is it all the episodes available uh, all the episodes of, the, of this season, the ten episodes. Yeah. Okay, they're all available. All ten episodes of the of this season. I don't even. I don't remember the Eco Challenge from the what 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 what, uh, what network was it on? It was really a bunch of networks. It was on USA for a couple of years. It was on ESPN for one year. Discovery. I think it won an Emmy for in one of the early versions of the unscripted category back when no one had a clue what it was. Right. But it, it was it, it was not. It was kind of what Survivor was until the beginning of Survivor when immediately people started making alliances and it started becoming about alliances and voting strategy rather than actually surviving. Whereas this, no one's voting anyone out. Uh, You know, yes, somebody wins, but ultimately it's as much about the team that finishes last because they're still doing this ridiculous insane thing and they're finishing it if they're finishing it and so it's it's almost unstructured at times which is interesting to see uh it's it's really good and also when it premiered it was before hdtv it was before drones it was before all of the technology that these reality shows have allowed them to develop to get right up in this competition so it's it's Pretty impressive technologically. Yeah, and Mark Burnett, uh, eighteen years ago, was he? I mean, this was sort of cutting edge uh, in uh, uh, television for for that time. Oh, absolutely. When it when it started, it was it was completely different from anything else on TV. It was it, because basically at that point, the thing it was most like was something like Road Rules on MTV, where it was all kind of contrived competitions and just waiting for people to hook up and random stuff like that. And this was like, okay, they're out there in the jungle. People are bleeding everywhere. People are breaking bones on my TV. This is fantastic. And people were shocked by that. But obviously it wasn't successful enough to become a huge hit on its own. It was just a cult hit. And then, obviously, Survivor came along, and it provided the the other elements that reality TV latched onto and yeah. that people apparently really did want. Well, what a success, this the Mark Burnett. What a, what a success oh. story. It's insane. It is. Yeah. All right. Okay, uh, Dan, hold on. Sure. 
All right, Dan Feinberg is with us. We've got a few more shows to talk about. If you want to jump in here with some TV questions or TV comments, it's 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200. Um, Dan uh, writes for The Hollywood Reporter as a TV critic, and you can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N, F-I-E-N. Uh, lots more TV to talk about. And again, 312-981-7200 if you want to talk to to us about television. We're going to be talking about pointless inventions coming up a little bit later on, ridiculous job titles, and some uh, wild facts about identical twins. And if you're a twin, we would uh, love to hear from you. Tom, how would it feel if you were a twin? Uh, terrible. <laughs> it's bad enough there's one of me. <laughs> you didn't even hesitate. You didn't even hesitate. Uh, what would it be like if you were a twin? Terrible. I mean, two jackasses instead of just one. Well, how many brothers do you have? Two, right? Yeah, I got two younger ones. And they're younger than you, right? Yeah. Okay. Nothing like me. Nothing like you? Not a bit. Okay. Well, we'll talk about twins coming up a little bit later on. But right now, let's get to the news. All right. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We are here every weeknight into the morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. And then at 4 o'clock, we head over to uh, our partners over there at Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, to get some early morning news. And then your morning drive at 5 o'clock is the great Bob Surratt. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the uh, phone number. Uh, you know, we always play some classic comedy from Johnny Carson's show. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and I suggest you do because it's so awesome. Uh, we're going to play back some classic Rodney Dangerfield from 1979. Oh, Rodney. Rodney was so funny. So uh, we'll play a little Rodney Dangerfield from uh, the classic Carson collection right there. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. If you have a comment or a question concerning TV, uh, Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter is with us. and You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And let's get back to some TV talk. Again, 312-981-7200. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. Hey, tell us about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso uh, premiered last week on Apple TV+. Plus. The first three episodes premiered last week, and it will be weekly on Fridays subsequently. Um, it is based on a series of promotional shorts that Jason Sudeikis made a few years ago when NBC Sports had just gotten premiership soccer. And the gimmick was that he was a guy who knew absolutely nothing about soccer, um, but new American football, and yet was hired to be a commentator about soccer. Well, this has been extended now uh, into a full series, uh, which Jason Sudeikis co-created with Bill Lawrence of Scrubs and Spin City fame. And so the premise is that this American football coach, uh, a Division II college football coach, is for questionable reasons hired to take over a mid-level uh, English premiership uh, soccer football 
team, even though he knows nothing about the sport. But because he's having some problems in his life, he takes the job. And because he is an eternal optimist, he goes over to to the UK, knowing nothing about soccer, but believing that he can find a way to make it work, and gradually discovers it is a more complicated sport than he thought, and that life is more complicated than he imagined. Um, the shorts, uh, the promotional shorts, were very jokey, very punchline-driven, and fairly funny. The series makes the choice to go less jokey, and uh, as a result, I don't know that I found the show all that funny. On the other hand, after like the second episode, they stopped being like, ha ha ha, isn't it funny that we call uh, soccer shoes Boot, or that they call soccer shoes boots, but the boot is also the trunk of a car. Ha! ha there, there are a lot of jokes oh, like that early geez. on, <laughs> and and they just they just really ride that for a while. But after like I would say the third episode, it dramatically declines, and it just becomes a very big-hearted underdog sports story, and uh, it is very, very heavily influenced by Major League, um, right to the point where part of the reason why he is hired is because the owner of the team is determined to sabotage the team. Oh, wow. But will someone, but will someone have a change of heart? Very possibly. Uh-huh. Uh, but, it, it, but it is utterly aware of the, the fact that it is aping Major League. And is, the owner, is, the owner, is the owner of the team a woman? She is indeed. She is a brassy. She is a brassy blonde woman. Um, it is. It is very. It is very aware of what it is. Um, played by Hannah Waddington, who most people will probably best know as the shame shame nun from Game of Thrones. Utterly unrecognizable, but that is what some people will know her from. Okay. Um, it's you know it, it's not a huge star driven cast, probably of the. Uh, non-Jason Sudeikis actors in the cast, uh, Juno Temple, who's done a lot of stuff, yeah. uh, will be the most familiar figure. She plays the sort of celebrity, C-list celebrity girlfriend of one of the hotshot young players. Uh, I, I found that my affection for the series grew and grew and grew. And even though I wasn't laughing, I was entirely enjoying the series and found it warm-hearted and optimistic in a lot of ways that I found very pleasant. And so it involved a little bit of recalibrating at first because a lot of the jokes in the first couple episodes just are, are just really broad and, and don't work all that well. But then they stop relying as heavily on them, and it just becomes a likable character-driven comedy. Uh, lots of the, the players on the team eventually get to have good moments as well. And if you like underdog sports movies and TV shows, it, it ends up feeling very affectionate and respectful of the genre in ways that I, I quite enjoyed. I ultimately ended up really liking it, even not finding it hugely funny. Okay. I'm a huge fan of Jason Sudeikis, so um, you know I'm already, I'm already in. He's, he's really good. He's uh, he's playing it. He's definitely not playing it straight uh, because he's got a funny mustache and got to love that funny mustache. Yeah, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. And he has to do all of the I don't understand British English and all of that stuff. But it, it's a, it's a good performance, and the character becomes more interesting as he goes along. I, it, it's sort of it's the same path to the screen that Brockmire took, basically. 
where it began as a Funny or Die short. Right, 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 right. Brock, Brockmeyer, when it came over, they were able to keep the jokes initially, and then they brought the heart in gradually as it went along. In this case, they sort of went the other way around, and they found a way to make the character actually human and have a heart initially, maybe at the risk of some of the punchlines. Yeah. But it's it's still a, a pretty good way of doing it, and, and I ended up enjoying it quite a bit, okay, I would say. Okay, cool. Tom, have you watched this yet? Because this sounds, this seems like it should be right up your alley, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, is that um, you couldn't pay me to get Apple TV Plus. Oh, okay. At this, at this point, I, I think I did the free trial just so I could watch the Beastie Boys documentary, which was pretty good, but not as good as the book that it kind of. Well, the book the the book is fifty three pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I I would rather I would rather sit and have that fifty three pound book, but yeah. uh, I, I guess I I don't know. There was just nothing on Apple TV that particularly. Um, Wasn't the Mandalorian uh, on Apple TV? No, nah, it was Disney. Oh, that was Disney. Uh, get Disney Plus. Uh, yeah. I get I get all my my uh, streaming services. All, I get them uh, just confused. It's all going to be one giant streaming service yeah. one day. Just called. It's going to be this magical thing called cable. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, uh, Dan. There, always a there pleasure. Are, there, are things, there are things though on uh, on Apple TV. I, I recommend Central Park to people as well. Oh so yeah, yeah. There, there. You know, it's it's tough though, and it's it's tough to justify adding and subtracting another service at each yeah. time. So yeah. I understand. Okay, Dan. What are you working on now? Um, been up to my neck in Democratic conventions. Oh, sure. This week. Yep. And then, you know, my getaway time, and we didn't even talk about this at all, has been Big Brother. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been a, been a, I have not see, I did not see last night's episode. I'm going to watch it when I get home in the morning. Um, it was not hugely exciting. Uh, they, the, the all-stars they tend to select for these don't tend to be the people who I like most from the show. So. Yeah. So it goes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been. I've been a little bit underwhelmed too, Dan. But you know. So. I'll, I'll keep going with it. You oh know, yeah. Oh no. Normally, I'm gonna, I'm normally gonna... I normally I drop out for press tour, and there's no press tour this year. Right. Uh, I'm sticking with it. There you go. Okay. All right, Dan. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Talk to you soon, Nick. Okay, Bye. buddy. There you go, Dan Feinberg. Check out the fine print. F I E N, and he writes for the Hollywood Reporter, and he joins us every other week uh, to talk TV. Always a pleasure to have Dan on. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Hey, are you a twin? We're going to talk about some wild facts about identical twins and uh, and more, and then a little bit later on, we're going to talk about completely pointless inventions. Uh, phone lines are open at three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We would love to hear from a twin if you are a twin. 